When I got my testosterone measured after having drank like say four nights a week, my testosterone was at like 330 and it should have been at like 900. So a third of what it should have been. Get a Google Doc open and write down the steps that are necessary to do that correctly and record yourself actually doing the task in Loom as an example and talk through what you're doing. Then you have this list of all these tasks that you're performing. You've got all the documentation around it, all of the Loom videos around it. And at the very least, you can start delegating some of this stuff. Platforms like school represent amazing opportunities to bring people together around something you really enjoy, kind of assemble your tribe with clear community guidelines and a community manifesto and kind of the rules of engagement of like what we do in the community and what we don't do. Matt Gray is the systems guy. He shares proven systems to grow a profitable audience with organic content. He's built a community of over 14 million people through organic content. Now through Founders OS, he's transforming good founders to be great. And he's building the world's greatest founder led community. Building a business is hard. Matt's purpose is to make the founder's journey more joyful and magical, all while contributing to the four W's in life. Work where you want, on what they want, with who you want, and wherever you want. This episode is a deep dive into creating systems, eliminating the unessential, taking care of your health, and building a community of fellow builders. What's up, people? Before we get into this video, please make sure to subscribe, like, and comment down below so we can get bigger, better guests for you every single week. Let's get straight into the video right now. Let's kick off. Let's do it, man. I want to start with a point that you always bring up, which is pain plus reflection equals progress. What is that? So I learned this from the book Principles by Ray Dalio, uh, you know, one of the most prolific investors of the last hundred years. And so, yeah, I think as founders, oftentimes we're always looking for that mentor or someone external to teach us different lessons or how we can improve. And really at the end of the day, oftentimes you are your greatest mentor. And so I think slowing down, kind of taking time to reflect, analyze, you know, what you've learned over the last month as an example, what mistakes have you made? What's gone well? What hasn't gone well? What have you learned? And then using that to iterate on a monthly basis and then coming up the next month with new insights and learnings based on that reflection um, leads to a lot of traction. And I think the pain side of it is kind of a bit of a mindset shift. The reality is, you know, when you're building a business, there's going to be bottlenecks, there's going to be problems. Oftentimes your job is to just prioritize what you focus on based on where the biggest problems in a business and then fixing them. And so versus seeing pain as a bad thing, pain's oftentimes like just the biggest opportunity. And if you can kind of slow down, reflect, you know, you have an awesome opportunity to really grow much faster, I think, as a founder. Mm, let's get into that because people want to avoid pain, right? But it's kind of the inevitable in a business or like training or meditation. It's usually that difficult point that most people don't want to do is what you should do because most people lean into comfort and living simple lives. They, you know, rough roads, rough roads and smooth, smooth roads and rough. Uh, I heard that from Daniel Priestley. So you've done a lot of that inner work and it wasn't always like that though. For your first startup, would you say you would have just went through the fire day in, day out and not kind of reflected? Yeah. So building my first business, Bitmaker, you know, we trained full stack software engineers, got them jobs at companies like Shopify, Google, Meta. And it was my first business I'd ever built. I was 20 years old. Um, we had a successful exit from it, but it was anything but successful in my own brain and in my own body when I was building it. It was constant fires, chaos, stressful as hell. I felt burnt out, depleted, anxious, depressed. And 
I don't think I just knew how to cope with the stress and I didn't know how to kind of build systems in that business, surround myself with great people. Um, it was oftentimes just, you know, an, an inexperienced new founder, just trying his best to keep up, but it's kind of on this endless hamster wheel of issues, um, and chaos. And so, yeah, you know, I think that's oftentimes like how we learn best though, is like just putting ourselves out there, trying things, I'm really big on kind of launch and then figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I think BitMaker was a great example of that, having no idea what I was doing mm -hmm. and just putting myself into the arena mm -hmm. and kind of building the parachute on the way down. But having been through that, there's a lot of different ways I'd build things now. That's what I mean. When you look back on that, did you look at that and think, okay, I want to go back in the arena, but I want to do it better. Or were you kind of really afraid to get back in it because sometimes when people look at new businesses if they've had a bad experience it'll kind of deter them from doing it again yeah there was definitely i remember a period of being like hey like is this am i meant for this am i cut out for this and then when i kind of started thinking clearly and really examining my own values and what i am after in life you know i love to work on tough problems i like to big build big things i like to control where i work when i work what i work on um and be able to work wherever i want to work and so yeah, it was obvious to me that like, you know, I'm, I've been built since a young age to be a founder and that's my calling in life to be a founder and to help other founders. What and do you so, think that is? What's that? What do you think that is? So I think there's a couple of things like number one, like I think I have a real distaste for the status quo. And I think a lot of founders are like yeah. that, you know, they're in a nine to five job maybe, <laughs> but their, their essence, they're like, screw this place, screw that guy. You know, I just want to run my own thing. So that's very much me. Like I want to control my own destiny. I want to control the business. Like I want to build something that I have skin in the game. And then in addition to that, I think just, you know, it's something you're kind of maybe born with a bit, right? Like I was born, you know, in a small town north of Toronto, Canada, the kind of person that at a young age was like building a snow shoveling business and going door to door and trying to shovel people's driveways and then had a landscaping business, helping people tend to their gardens and all this kind of stuff in the neighborhood. So always this idea of just being able to go my own path. I think I saw a post around, uh, from George Mack, actually, uh, you may know talking about just like high agency people. And I feel like it's just that there's some people that just are high agency. Like they want to carve their own path. They, when other people are zigging, they're zagging, you know, when people are seeing chaos, they see opportunity. And I think I've just kind of had that in me from a young age. It's when you see a problem, you see it as an opportunity versus something to stop. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing with founders is that we meet the wall of resistance continuously, but it's about pushing through that wall of resistance. So when you're looking at like that inner work, which I think is, un is really cool because you document that really well, how you improve, do a lot of reviews every single month and making sure you're hitting those criteria. What type of like inner work did you do to make sure you're a better founder, right? Because it's not always your business is a reflection of you. So how you've even seen yourself develop like that continuously, maybe you're reading, maybe what influences you. Yeah. So I think there's like a whole kind of learning stack I've established over the years that has allowed me to kind of, you know, gain the traction that I've gained in both my life and business, a lot of those lessons have been learned the hard way, but you know, one thing I think that's at the top of the list for me personally, not advocating it for everyone is sobriety for me. You know, when I was building my first business, I coped with the stress with alcohol. Um, and I ended up running a business that was running me into the ground. 
And I didn't realize how much it was affecting me because, you know, alcohol not only affects your mood, but it affects your sleep. And it kind of has this downward spiral effect. Um, and so, yeah, really dialing in my sobriety changed my mood, changed my energy. It also affects your hormones as well. So being able to get my testosterone back and my sleep back has made me just that much more of a high performing individual. And so I've been sober for about five years now, and that's been an absolute game changer. I think also something I'm really big on is taking soul trips every six weeks. So I love that man. getting away, getting into nature, unplugging this weekend as an example, going to Amman with my girlfriend, taking four days, swimming with some sharks, hanging on the beach, playing some tennis. I don't know what we'll end up doing. The point is just kind of booking a spontaneous trip, getting away this idea of like, we work hard as founders, but play harder and take time to also make sure that you're building your life resume, right? That you are like checking things off the list that when you look back on your life, when you're 85, you're like, damn, I friggin' went hard. And that was amazing. All the things I accomplished because business is just one bucket in life. And I think it's an illusion that a lot of founders see is that, oh, I got this amazing business, but then every seven other bucket of your life is just depleted. Versus like, yeah. Family, friends, <laughs> mind, body, spirit, adventure, fun, play, like all these things matter. Mm. it's because like your business can consume you, right? Cause there's always something to fucking do. It could be more sales, more marketing, improve fulfillment. There's always just something to do. So if you don't fill, not the void, but don't fill the space with other things that you really enjoy, like going to Uman and being going to just do other things, you're going to fall into just working 24 seven. And again, life is in seasons, right? That's fine for a quarter, but you can't do that forever. Now, going back to the alcohol one, I think that's super interesting, right? Because I'm from Ireland, a lot of people young, they drink, but they don't see that it being a problem. But I have a, I have a bit of a, a bit of a kind of a worry around this because a lot of people that are struggling, they don't see alcohol to be the reason why. Does that make sense? So they have a really shit scenario. They're working a job that they hate. And then they're going out the weekend to get away from that lifestyle. And they don't identify that to be the problem. And I have a video on YouTube. It's like 500 days of alcohol. 90% of the comments are positive, but the 10% are people that like kind of internally hate themselves that are saying that it's not a problem. And a lot of people were even saying on LinkedIn when I put it up saying that, um, well, you could have it in moderation. You could have just one drink a month and all this stuff. But the reality is most people don't do that and they use it as a scapegoat basically for their life. So how have you seen that kind of observe even yourself? Because I see a lot of founders, you know, doing founder parties and they're drinking all the time. And it's quite strange, right? It's something that it's a drug that's basically accepted yeah. in society. So I don't want to speak to, you know, other people's perspective on things. Like I think that, you know, to each their own, I can only speak about my own personal experience with alcohol and my perspective on it for myself is that you think about like a well-lived life or being a well-rounded founder, it's a game of inches and every little inch you can get of progress momentum, you're going to seize it. And so if you are doing anything, right, whether that's arguing with someone, hiring the wrong person, drinking and being hung over in the morning, whatever those things are, right? Binge eating late at night, which hey, we're all guilty of here and there. The point is when you stack these things up, like you're just losing inch by inch. And I live in a world and I hold myself to a standard where like every inch matters. And so I think that with alcohol, as an example, one of the biggest things I found that it did 
um, after learning more about it is that it has a dramatic effect on your sleep. It affects your testosterone and testosterone is a chemical in humans that makes effort feel good. And so if when I got my testosterone measured after having drank like say four nights a week, my testosterone was at like 330 and it should have been at like 900. So a third of what it should have been. And so you think about all this hard work you're doing as a founder, all these walls you're trying to drive through all this, you know, just hard work you're trying to put forth to manifest something in the world. And meanwhile, you're doing this thing that just making all that stuff feel so much more difficult and kind of draining you of your like life force energy. And so it was actually obvious to me that this wasn't just me losing inches in life. This is me losing like miles. And so after consulting with Huberman and messaging him on Instagram, getting some advice from him and then seeing a doctor, getting some blood work done, which I highly recommend every founder does at least twice a year. I then realized, okay, I can dial this in. The blood work allowed me to gamify my hormones and then to dial them in, in a way where I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this to 900 and I'm going to use sobriety in being sober to get me there. So previously I'd seen it as like, Oh, I just got to give up alcohol and just hope this is better. And it kind of was vague to me as to why I was doing it per se. Whereas this allowed me to really dial it in with numbers. And I love that. I'm very, very similar. So it's exact same. My testosterone was like 400. It's like 23 years old. Um, and funnily enough, because I was training so much, I was actually decreasing it because I was, Oh, I was overtraining. I was training six, seven days a week. So removing that, made me improve different aspects of my sleep, my diet, my nutrition. And like when everything is dialed in, that stuff feels stupid going out and getting pissed or smashing, you know, Burger King, it feels stupid. And that's what I think is really interesting. I want to walk through your process and the way you get set up. So saw your video making over 730 K a month, working four hours, approximately a day. Now, how do you go from where you were to that? Like, what's the process of how you started to build systems and basically build, you know, many empires now or, or your new empire, basically? So I break it down to four things, uh, community, accountability, mentorship, and proven systems. Mm -hmm. So talk about each one of those quick. Community is like the ultimate competitive advantage. You surround yourself with like an amazing community of peers, of fellow successful founders, and you're increasing your surface area for like luck, for people opening doors for you. You know, being here in Dubai is an example. There's an amazing community of people here that I've been introduced to. And I have these kind of people that I've met all over the world and online. And so by putting organic content out there, by building an audience, building a community, suddenly like a lot of just doors start opening for you. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to chase so much in life. You're actually just attracting opportunities to you. You're attracting talent. I don't need to go and hunt down and try to email a hundred people to go and find an A player to hire for a role. I just post that for one second to my audience and inbound, you're getting a bunch of legends that want to work with you as an example. So just an enormous amount of leverage comes from building a community. The second aspect is accountability. You know, I think that, you know, Michael Jordan had a coach, Serena Williams is a coach, every entrepreneur is an athlete and they need coaches. And so a key aspect there is like having accountability to someone, whether it's your team, a fellow peers and friends, a coach, I think whatever you can do there to just make sure that your goals are not just some goals that may or may not happen, that these are things that must happen um, is a game changer. Third aspect, which is somewhat similar is like mentorship. I'm big on building a personal board of advisors around myself. So you think about all the areas of your business, strategy, finance, your health, uh, marketing, audience growth, content, you know, whatever it may be in your business. I think it's important to go and try to have at least one or two people in each of those areas that is about three to four steps ahead of you that you can just constantly be learning from. 
I was talking with some friends the other day about this. It's almost like you want like a opportunity, like anxiety that like you're in these conversations with them and you see the opportunity, but you're almost anxious that you're like, there's like that little bit of like an edge that you're on. Cause they're talking to you maybe about, Oh, this is how they grew their newsletter or this is how they're hiring people. And you're like, Oh my God, I'm so stupid. Why am I not doing that? Right. And so you almost then reflect on your own life afterwards, after kind of like getting over that anxiety and you're like, okay, I'm inspired. I'm ready to go. I see the opportunity here. I'm going to get after it. I've learned that so much here from yeah. just being here. The biggest thing that I've observed is people that are willing to invest in themselves and mentors. It's crazy how much willing, how much it's funny. Nearly everyone that I sit down with has been mentored by Sam Ovens <laughs> or uh, has started out with Ty Lopez at some point, but they all put their hand in their pocket to learn from someone a couple of steps ahead of them. And as a result, they, they, with time delay, so they have a cause, effect, and a time delay, they've all become incredibly successful over, over on. Now, now, that could be a survivorship bias, there's obviously winners and losers, but for the most part, a lot of the winners have had those advisors, personal board of advisors, but even paid mentors are not even paid. So how would you approach that for someone? Should they yeah. go down the, the paid route? So I, don't, I think it, either way, do whatever is best, right? I think the most important thing is that you find the right person, the right fit for you and where you're trying to go. Ideally finding someone that's charted the path that you're trying to go and that you can basically use their proven systems to speed up your process of accomplishing something similar. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, the fourth aspect that I think is really important, like I said, is proven systems. So, you know, inevitably, you know, you need systems for audience growth, for community building, for hiring, and how I've been able to largely remove myself from operations and the businesses that I start is shortly after kind of building them out, getting product market fit, getting them to market, getting initial traction. I then work to systemize the entire business using things like Loom to record myself doing certain processes, Notion to house all those processes easily so that people can be onboarded and understand them. And having great documentation, step-by-step -step SOPs of all the different areas of the business um, so that I can then remove myself from the business and work on it versus being stuck in it. And so having those proven systems in place, I think is something that's core. And this is where I see a lot of founders struggling is they're on this sort of hamster wheel of just trying to keep up with all the demands day to day, but not training anyone around them to do it. Or you have solopreneurs that are just trying to do it all themselves. And I oftentimes think, well, that's great for a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are kind of getting themselves into a bit of a cycle of burnout with that. Um, whereas, you know, a few great people in your company can make all the difference. 100%. And it's the boring, unsexy stuff, right? Like that's what makes great businesses. Hormozzi talks about a lot, right? People want the flashy stuff, but it's the boring back end. So let's get straight into it because man, for me and where we're at with our business, this is becoming more and more important. But my question for you is, how do you build a great system? And let's say if it's a back end operation, right? How do you define it? Do you do workflow diagrams? Do you draw it out? Like what is a great system that you would look at? Yeah. So first things first, you know, I love the approach of kind of like 1% better every day is 37 times better in a year. And I kind of always internalize that. So you have to understand that it's like not going to happen overnight. It's more of almost like a lifestyle than it is like, you know, a week project and then it's done. So it's taking a look at, you know, what do you, what's taking up the time on your calendar right now and doing a bit of an audit over the last say 60 days getting out a Google sheet as an example and writing down every single thing you've spent your time doing, right? So you've spent your time invoicing people, meeting with your accountant. You've spent your time hiring, interviewing, recruiting, posting to social media, scheduling, looking at the analytics, whatever those things are. Now, instead of just doing those things, 
any given week blindly and then just over and over just getting stuck in the soup having that stuff documented and actually next time you do it get a google doc open and write down the steps that are necessary to do that correctly then record yourself actually doing the task in loom as an example and talk through what you're doing so that then you have this list of all these tasks that you're performing you've got all the documentation around it all of the loom videos around it and at the very least you can start delegating some of this stuff from there using ta tables you know tools like you know whether it's air table zapier asana whatever is needed for the given task you can also look to automate a lot of this stuff I think we live in an amazing world where like there's all these no code tools you could be using that can just simplify your life and once you've hopefully gotten yourself a bit of space and delegated some of the soup you're now able to sort of look at the business and go okay which parts of this are inefficient that i can be automating maybe even just eliminating because it's just a complete waste of time yeah. and so that's sort of like at a baseline like how i look about kind of systemizing a business all right, people, we're just going to take one short little break for a little update about Podcast University. So if you enjoy podcasts like this and you want to start your own podcast, head down to the links down below to Podcast University. This is a learning platform that I've built to help people like you build, launch, and scale your own podcast. I wasted many years doing this, making it all up as, a lot, as I go. So I put everything together in a very seamless and, and easy to follow course for you guys to follow and just learn exactly how to do it. So if you want to bypass a lot of the mess with your podcast, Check out the links down below to Podcast University and I will show you exactly how to launch and scale your own podcast. How do you distinguish between what you should automate, delegate, or eliminate? Yeah, so first things first, the best thing you can do is just eliminate stuff. So being clear on like what is core to the business, I think a lot of people spread themselves too thin. And like at the end of the day, oftentimes there's just one thing you need to do in your business that provides just the most leverage and the more focus you can put on that point, the faster you can scale. So getting clear on that kind of one thing that's going to move the needle forward, I think is a big differentiator. And then from that, what stems is, okay, what's all the stuff in my business? This is a distraction. Some stuff I should eliminate, maybe not even forever, but at least for now. So I can really focus on this one area that is our big thing. Can you give an example from your perspective? Yeah, so... I built a community of 14 million people. One thing that everyone in that space was doing was they were trying to do everything, right? They would try to build a business that was marketing. They do delivery. They would do, uh, you know, social media, audience growth. They would help people with sales. Like you saw a lot of these businesses that were spread out doing everything. Meanwhile, what we focused on was just marketing as a service. All we did was help people with programmatic ads, SEO and a proprietary email software had built and kind of combined it into one thing. And that was the single thing that we did was just the better we could do at that marketing as a service, the better we would scale. And people would tell us, Oh, why aren't you doing this other thing? Or why don't you try this? Or now that you've done that, well, you should try to expand to this. And we just for 10 years building that business just said, no, we're good. Like, nope, we're just going to focus on this thing. Everyone's like, come on. Like there's so much more opportunity if you try this other stuff. And we just stuck to our guns and I've seen over the years working in a bunch of different industries, whether it's SaaS or um, education, info products, whatever it may be, is that the most successful people in any of these industries, I think, like they focus and they find like, what is that single thing that is going to get me to my goals? And then how do I just like triple down on that and put blinders on and tunnel vision to anything else that may come across my purview? And I love that because... 
you sound very similar to Sahil Bloom when he was talking about this. It's what's the one thing that gives me the asymmetrical returns? If I can figure out during my 20s what I can get asymmetrical returns on and put all of my time into that, that's what happens, right? And it's actually quite similar to our business, learning from people like you. Uh, we just focus on podcasting. And I've been asked, oh, do we do email stuff and LinkedIn stuff? And I said, nope. We're just the podcast company. We just have that, like we do strategy. We do a lot of work on podcasting. And as a result, it's it's only thing we do. And that may deter some people, but it actually doesn't. It attracts the people that we want as a result. Now, you mentioned about focus. How do you think about focus? Have you put a lot of thought into like keeping that narrow focus, like how you kind of plan that around your productivity? Yeah, so my focus and like my, all comes down to like my daily habits. So what works for me is I believe that like focus in a given day, it starts the night before it starts with getting clear the next day. Like what are your core priorities? So before I go to bed, I have my notebook pretty old school that way. Just write down, you know, what I need to get done the next day and then put numbers beside each thing, generally ranking them from like one to 10. What's the most important thing I need to get done the next day all the way to number 10. And then when I wake up, I already know what I need to get done and what's important. And then I'm just going through that list from one to 10. And after having gone through a bit of it, needing a break, I'll go these days, I go play paddle tennis and go get a little bit of anger out and then come back and then slam through the rest of it. And I think that where people screw up sometimes is they get so lost in different tools, like, oh, are you using Notion or using this, use that? Like the tool doesn't matter. It comes down to the founder. The other thing too, is just not getting clear on their priorities. And so I'm very conscious of understanding, okay, with founder OS as an example, where our mission is to inspire hundred million founders to accomplish their dreams through proven systems. We're very clear on the 10 year vision we're trying to accomplish, right? Helping hundred million people and then reverse engine that to th three years from now, getting that to 20 million people. And then, okay, what do we need to accomplish in one year to get there? 90 days, 30 days tomorrow. And the more you can kind of reverse engineer this like long-term ambitious, energizing vision to what you need to get done today, I think the combination of having clear priorities mm -hmm. and then having this like unwavering, like energizing mission that you're trying to accomplish allows you just to stay radically focused because any shiny toys that come across your purview, you're like, nah, like it actually doesn't look that good. Like I got a really cool thing I'm building here and I don't have much time. I really got to focus on what I got on my plate. Cause there's like a lot, this thing's pretty ambitious. Like it's going to take all of my might and my team's might, and then like some luck or God or you, the universe or whatever you believe in to then make that thing happen. And you're running out of time continuously, right? Time is finite. So you yeah. got to keep on going. Now that's super interesting because I, I hear a lot of founders and see a lot of founders who they have good businesses. They could be making like a million a year, could be stuck within a million and two million. And instead of trying to get that thing to 10, they start again and they want to build something else on the side. And it's, you know, Split focus is no focus. Catch two, try to catch two hairs, you catch none. That's the way I kind of describe it. And for me, that's super important. Like, how do we stay super narrow in this podcast space and just I just dominate it, basically? Because I don't know how you feel about this, but I don't necessarily want to do eight different stuff. <laughs> you know, same with you, right? You're just so focused on founder OS. Yeah, I think also just jamming with you on it. I think the other like hidden mistake that can happen if you focus on too many things. Versus like the unbelievable unlock that people aren't aware of is that when you do too many things, other people don't know how to talk about what you do. And so around like 50 to 60% of your marketing actually happens 
not when you're present, right? It's all of this word of mouth going on mm -hmm. around people talking about what you do. But if you do everything, then how does someone even talk about what you do? They're like, oh yeah, he's that guy that like kind of has this thing here, but then also dabbles there and this, that. So when they talk to someone else, that person's hearing it and going, huh, don't understand it. Interesting. Sounds neat. Which means like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas someone that's like yourself, like you're saying, it's like, I'm going to dominate this podcast area, mega focused on this narrow thing. And then suddenly it's like, oh shoot, I know a guy that'd be really good there to get on that podcast. Cause it's just so obvious that like what you do, I can understand it in five seconds and I can connect the dots. And so I think there's a lot of like hidden levers that exist in situations like that when it comes to sort of word of mouth marketing as well, when you just focus clearly and it's easy for people to understand like what it is you do. It's your brand, right? And they talk about that in category of one. It's not what you say, not what you think your brand is. It's what other people perceive you. It's how you interact. It's your customer experience. That's the, that will determine fundamentally how people perceive you and, and obviously come and work with you. With Founder OS, you have this great brand that's built up from your reputation and you sharing proven systems that's helped people over the years, which is amazing. Now, let's spin back into community. Why... How do you think about community and like, how have you been able to build like 14 million and now going on to build a hundred million people in this, in this ecosystem? Because that's, from someone who's in the content game, I find it difficult sometimes to be able to retain people in a community. Yeah. So when I think about community, you know, there's layers to it, right? You have what I'd call like a rented audience, then you have an owned audience and then you could drive people to your community, Right. Your rented audience exists on platforms like X, LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, all them rented because you don't own these platforms. At any moment, Zuck could take it away from you. Musk did, did take it away from you. The point is you got to, as quickly as possible, grow an audience there with organic content and then drive that audience to something you own, like a newsletter. So in my case, I use ConvertKit, a newsletter platform that's amazing, has tons of automations, helps you kind of scale up an owned audience that you control. You can email them, get on the radar, send them an email to their phone whenever you want. From there, then driving people to a community, right? I use school as my community platform. It's easy. You can have the community there, any education. You can have like different live sessions all in one spot. It's kind of like a community hub that I highly recommend. And so that's sort of like the that's an example of sort of a um, kind of organic content funnel. The backbone of that is amazing content. I think where people get tripped up is they try to build one of these parts, an audience with no newsletter or a newsletter, but not building an audience correctly. And any one of those pieces breaks, the sort of whole funnel collapses. And so when I think about growing an community to a hundred million people, I got to basically probably go and reach in an audience segment, like a billion people over time, right. To then drive these founders to newsletters and then drive them to an awesome community where they can find, you know, amazing peers. They can find the accountability, the mentorship, the proven systems that they're looking for. So yeah, on the content side of things, I think it comes down to the four C's, which is, you know, curation, creation, checking that content, making sure it's amazing, and then um, actually circulating it. And so those four stages are all important. You know, number one is I think the best creators are the best curators. So a lot of people are online and they're seeing content that hooks their attention. There's two kinds of people. 
some people that just go into that, they, you know, gobble it all up and then they go to sleep. I think there's curators out there that look at that content and they ask themselves, why did this hook me? What is it in this that's grabbed my attention? And they save it and they think about it later and go, oh, this is kind of how that could apply to what I'm doing. And so I think it's shifting your mindset from sort of consumption to curation. The second aspect is then creating amazing content, which is a combination of amazing hooks, which is 80% of the battle, really driving an enormous amount of value, basically value bombing your content. Cause there's so much content out there these days that if you're not being as generous as possible with your free content, you are just going to get lost in the mix. And so I think giving away as much as you know, giving away proven systems, giving away all of your secrets, your playbooks, just trying to be as generous as possible to people ends up sort of like shining through and people can feel the intention behind what you're putting out there. And then, you know, double back and check it. I think one thing I've learned over the years is that quality is the ultimate pattern interrupt. And there's so much content all over the place, thousands and thousands of podcasts, all these YouTube channels. If you can just really stand for quality and people know that when they watch you know, this podcast, they see your content out there. It's like, damn, this guy goes the extra mile to make sure this stuff is dialed. You, they can feel that intention. And I think as a creator, as a founder, you want to be that yardstick for quality in your different, in your given space that will cause people to start coming back to kind of like stop in their tracks as they're scrolling and go, okay, whoa, double click. Like what's this? And then the last aspect there, um, is making sure that you're circulating it proper. You know, there's a quote, you know, first time founders focus on tech, second time founders focus on distribution. And so really like distribution is your competitive advantage, like really nailing that. How are you showing up on X? How are you showing up on LinkedIn? Don't just do it at a surface level and think that that's somehow going to make a big impact on your business. If you're hoping to really set up an organic content funnel, really drive a community, do big business on these different platforms, you need to go deep uh, because that's where the game is won. And you need to understand the algorithms. You need to understand how the platform works. You need to pay attention to the top 20% of your content and double down on that. You need to look at the content that's doing the worst and stop doing it and kind of the combination of those four C's is I think what then allows you to grow the audience necessary to drive people to the community that you're after. I love like your passion with that because you put so much emphasis on the quality of the content, but you've also been able to reach quantity too, right? Because you work from your newsletter back and then redistribute. How does that work? Your process, your content system. So my content system actually starts with X at the top of the system. And so I call it like a content waterfall system. It's basically how you can turn one piece of content into about 14 plus other pieces of content by kind of repurposing one idea. And so at the pillar piece is like a thread on X, which is like around say 400 words around a single idea. That one thread now can become a newsletter on Saturday for founder OS it could become five smaller tweets and thoughts. It could become a concept for a YouTube video. It could become a concept for a podcast. Um, it can be distributed onto LinkedIn as a long form post. And it can be used as part of the script for a short form video like an IG Reel, a YouTube short, and a TikTok. So one thing I'm really big on is obviously getting as much leverage from what you can do as possible. You only have a finite amount of time and you hear a lot of people that they start creating content, but they give up. 
because it just becomes too much. And so by being able to kind of really spend a lot of time going deep in one idea, you know, to take the time to make it high quality and then finding ways to repurpose that 14 other ways allows you both to focus on quality, but make things sustainable. So then you only need to focus on creating that one crystal clear idea. And I saw you beforehand, even writing outside, you're so focused on creating like high quality content that it becomes your highest point of leverage because people will come in. You mentioned school. How do you think school will like change the online business space? So yeah, for those that don't know, school, a community platform started by Sam Ovens. We've been in the info product space for about a decade or so. And then obviously recently got the investment from Hormozy. And so what I see is I think just more and more people are realizing that the future belongs to creators with niche communities. You know, you go on Instagram, you go on Facebook, wherever it may be. Right. And it's just everything for everyone. And gradually the algo is curating certain stuff for you, but it's just pushing stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think as we've gone and started, you know, consuming content, one thing that's really missing is like people are more lonely than ever and the people lack a sense of belonging connection. And I think the people that become the most energized in life oftentimes are the people that realize their passion in life and then find a peer group of fellow founders or fellow just, you know, passion led people around that given thing. And so I see the opportunity with platforms like school for people to find others like them and come together and have fun together and find a sense of belonging. I think in a cool way for founders, platforms like school represent amazing opportunities to bring people together around something you really enjoy, kind of assemble your tribe, you know, with clear community guidelines and a community manifesto and kind of the rules of engagement of like what we do in the community and what we don't do and really just put a lot of intention to just having fun and growing together. I think it allows a lot of founders the opportunity to build a lot of leverage, to assemble a tribe around the given thing that they're into and the cool thing too, is like make a good living doing that as well. Um, because you know, you don't just need to have free communities. You could build a paid community if you want to on these platforms. And it's something that has, you know, monthly recurring revenue behind it. Um, you know, it's diversified because if you grow a community of 2000, 3000 people, like, you know, you're making money from all of these people versus it like off one customer. And yeah, it offers opportunity to, I think, basically productize your curiosity where you can just be curious about something really passionate about it in life and school affords you the opportunity to bring people together around that curiosity and make a living doing it. It's a way to improve like the funnel as well, right? Because you could have a ton of backend products, whether it's like courses or it could be coaching or one-to-one coaching. It adds like an extra layer, but something that I found quite interesting about communities like school and um, even discord. I remember hearing Jay Klaus He's built a few different businesses saying that building a community was one of the hardest or one of the longest. And I remember hearing, I think it was Greg Eisenberg also say something similar that of course, like it's, it's amazing and there's a really good MRR on it and it's really reliable once it's up and built. But that's some of people's, I guess, concerns is that it's like, who's the first person to put their card in and showing a community with no one else in it. Do you ever kind of think about that sometimes? 
All right, guys, one short little update for Voix. I want to give a short little overview about my own company, my media company called Voix. So if you are a company or you are an enterprise looking to grow your brand and looking to grow your podcast, feel free to reach out to work with us at Voix. What we do is a fully fledged end-to-end management of your podcast. We take care of the strategy, the consulting. We take care of the growth, the management. We take care of all the editing, all the boring stuff so you can focus on creating good podcasts and create and growing your brand. If you want to grow your podcast and get to new users, if you want to grow your business, generate more revenue and all that good stuff, check out the links down below to Voix. You can follow through to schedule a call with our team or else you can fill out the application form to see if you qualify to work with us. Thank you. Yeah. It's like the cold start problem. Like, yeah, who's going to be the first person in? I think that's a very like worthy thing to be kind of concerned about. I think there's a lot of ways around that though. You know, you can start a community initially that's free and then turn it to paid over time, right? Get that first critical mass of just 30, 40 people. You're just having fun. You're serving, you're bringing them together. And then over time, as there's value that you're providing as the community is vibrant and people are collaborating, then eventually go, okay, yeah, there's a lot, there's something special here. You know, we've built something cool. We're going to start charging for access to this. So it doesn't necessarily have to be something that, yeah, at first you need to get money right away. On the other side, you know, you could just keep it really enticing by just keeping the pricing low for a bit, right. And getting people in for like early bird pricing or whatever it may be just to get, again, that kind of initial mass going and then start compounding over time. Mm -hmm. I think though, with all of these, whether any worthy thing in life, right, whether it's learning to run, getting fit, building a community, growing a newsletter, building an audience, building a business, building your bank account, all these things rely on compounding. And I think if you're going to compound anything in any of these areas, it's important first that you find what actually brings you joy and what actually excites you. And if you're getting into community just for some money or you're getting fit just to like look good in the mirror per se, like, you know, I don't know if it's going to last right. Versus making sure that what you're getting into, you're getting into it for the right reasons that you could actually see yourself doing this for the next decade and thereby, you know, you're playing an infinite game, something that is like play, And thereby, you know, it's going to be something that when times get tough or yeah, if it takes like six months to get it right, it's like no big deal because you're going to be doing this a long, long time and you're not going anywhere. And the most successful founders I know always have a very, very long-term time horizon. Man, I love that so much. I'm always talking about the infinite game. And that's why I love podcasting because you see the numbers rank up, whether it's Chris Williamson or Joe Rogan or whatever, you see the numbers just continuously going and there's no end to it, right? It's kind of like being a founder. I know there's obviously a goal sometimes to to exit, but as Hermosi says, like, you know, the goal is to keep on playing. It's not to necessarily leave the arena. And that's how you win. It's like when you get really fit or you play paddle tennis, it doesn't end. <laughs> it just keeps on going, right? And having that mental framework is, is really interesting because it separates the outcome from the activity. And it's more just, let's just keep going at it. And what you realize is that some of the reasons why you got into it, the external validation, that kind of subsides because you get more involved in building systems, building a business. And it's like the infinite game is you're competing with yourself. And that might seem a little bit woo-woo, but it's like the reality of your business is a reflection of you. And as time goes on, you're not going to be as concerned of what other people are doing because like you're doing right now, it's a unique space. There's not many people doing what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, none. Yeah. And I think when, you know, let's say you're building a community, 
you're going to have moments. There's always tricky situations or bottlenecks or bad weeks, bad months. Like these things happen. And if you're too short term thinking, you're going to just really suffer in those moments because you're like, oh man, this month, like we're down from last month. Like what's going on? Like everything's over. Versus if you have that longer term view, you're like, I'm sure this is going to go up and down for the next decade. Like this is a slower month. Next month, we're going to come back swinging. Everything will be good. Um, I think the other side of things too is, yeah, like you just want to make sure that you're doing stuff that over the long term, you know, you're just going to stick with it because if you give up, because something gets hard a couple months, you know, and, and you don't really enjoy it. You're just going to, you know, wasting time. You end up stopping the thing, you stop the compounding and you're not going to really probably achieve your goals. And it's how you, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if you are, I always imagine from like a circle, if you start in the middle and you're trying to achieve this goal and if you give up, you go back to the center and you have to keep on going again. Right. And short term versus long term thinking you write about finding your calling and trying to find what it is you really want to do in your life. How was that process for you? So when I sobered up, I read a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I found a sobriety coach and this gentleman recommended that I read this book. In the book, it talks about doing morning pages. Basically waking up, you're sort of like groggy, you get a pen, you have your paper and you just write three long form pages and just get it out of your system, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's just some random gobbledygook. Sometimes there's actually something intelligent behind it. And so I just started doing that every day, waking up, writing three pages and didn't know what I was doing. But as I started kind of just writing around what I was interested in and what I was feeling, um, around that same time, I came across this concept called Ikigai the kind of intersection of what you love, what you're good at, what you can be paid for and what the world needs. The intersection of those four quadrants is your icky guy, which is like your reason for being or your calling in life. The thing that when you get out of bed, it's going to energize you. And so I journaled around this over a couple of days. I revisited a bunch and I started making an effort to like optimize my life around the things that energized me and gradually make an effort of removing the things that were not in that core center. And in the center, in that intersection, in the icky guy, were things like building proven systems, building distribution from day one, helping founders, entrepreneurship as a soulful journey, entrepreneurship being kind of like the ultimate meditation and just enjoying the process, nature, copywriting, design, art. These things give me energy. And so as I just started focusing on more of those things and really just being like, okay, well, if this is the stuff that I would do, um, even if I was retired, then if I can just make sure that my life consists of just these things and remove all the stuff that's outside of this, then essentially I'm living everyday retirement because this is stuff that I would do anyway. So I'm basically retired. And I was able to give up this level of thinking, which I had when I was younger, which is like, I'm building this business. I got to exit this for $50 million. If it doesn't exit for $50 million in the next year, I'm a failure. And so every day that it hadn't exited for say $50 million as an example, I'm not doing my job right. I'm a failure. I'm a bad founder. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm clearly screwing something up. And it just led to this outcome based thinking that was just really poisonous, made me miserable. I was miserable to be around and yeah, it was just like a rough existence. 
Whereas as I started to kind of lean into this icky guy side of things and just like focusing on these infinite games, on playing, on adventure, on the things that brought me true joy in life, everything started to open up. And that was sort of how I discovered Founder OS was just from helping founders with the things that I truly am passionate about that are kind of my gifts in life. And it just blossomed into this vibrant community um, and this vibrant way of helping founders avoid a lot of the pain, the agony, the loneliness that I had gone through building businesses and find and build a more joyful existence and journey as a founder. If you, if money wasn't an option, would you still be doing the same thing? hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. I, love that. I architected all of this with that in mind, which is like, I'm never selling this business. I'm never getting out of it. Like this is what I will do till I die. Uh, I view it less as a business in terms of like my own thinking around it. I view myself more as like an artist, as like a craftsperson. And I'm just building this thing, tinkering on it day after day and just making it a little bit better and making the experience amazing and making people happy as much as I can. And yeah, that's my approach now. And that's what makes it fun for me. And that mindset shift for me changed a lot. I used to think of business. So, you know, dollars and cents all the time and, you know, exits and outcomes and all this stuff. And as I just started focusing on like the artistry of it all and the craftsmanship behind it, you just are kind of focused on mastery and, just doing the best you humanly can in a given thing and really kind of sharpening your sword day after day. And then inevitably it actually, what I found, which is kind of cool is it actually makes the outcomes come a lot faster oh, and it actually helps that. you become a lot more successful, a lot quicker and just have way more fun. Yeah. And so that's sort of the game I play now. I love that because that's what it's about is actually enjoying it too, right? It's yeah. not, it's not, and I think we've learned this probably from that kind of VC tech world whereby it's like stabbing the back and, you know, people are only getting ahead by like putting other people down. But when you're building something that you truly enjoy and yes, of course you want to make it successful, but you're not attaching your self-worth to the outcome. And I often find that with a lot of people, even myself, I had to do that work for my podcast, for my business, and then it became to grow a lot faster. Yeah. So Talk me through the growth of FounderS. How has it kind of happened over the past two and two years? Yeah. So just to touch too on something you said, right? Like a lot of this kind of venture backed approach to startups, like teach their own, right? But I think for certain founders is just not the right route. You know, it oftentimes encourages kind of growth at all costs. Yeah. And it's a well-known thing that under that model, like 99% of businesses fail. And then you have like that one unicorn that kind of makes a whole venture capitalist portfolio worthwhile. But those other 99% actually probably could be solid businesses if they just didn't grow at all costs and they just grew patiently and steadily and just compounded year after year and just got better and better. And so my belief at Founder OS as a community is our belief is that, you know, you don't need to scale at all costs. It's about profit over revenue. It's about building a calm company, something that you actually enjoy, that's sustainable, that's built on systems that's automated so that you can pass what I call the one month test that you could go on a vacation for one month and come back to your company. And it's actually stronger than when you left it. And so we're a community of founders that are there to support one another. Our belief is that no founder lets another founder fail. And as a community, we're really supporting one another with you know mentorship, with proven systems, helping hold one another accountable. Um, and you know, I'm trying to share as much as I humanly can with the community in terms of the learnings that I've had over 14 years. Um, and yeah, the business has scaled, you know, incredibly over the last couple of years, the audience went from nothing to 3 million communities got around 
a thousand or so people in it. Um, and yeah, and it's just basically just kind of all around this idea, uh, that, um, you know, you can build proven systems in your business, um, so that you can focus on freedom, which I think is what entrepreneurs are really after. But oftentimes when you're building, you forget that it's freedom to control, you know, where you want, where you work, when you work, what you work on and with people that you love to work with. Mm. Because usually again, people will not know what to do for those extra times and they'll fill that void by getting bogged down in their business. How, what are some of those kind of success stories you've had in founder OS of people being able to, I guess, remove themselves and how have they removed themselves? Because that's the bottleneck, right? That's where people think they can't get out of their business. Yeah. So Steve Gutena is a great founder and friend I know, um, who went through founder OS. He was able to go and sort of build out a whole kind of content empire around his business. Initially, Steve came into the community, was kind of skeptical, right? Is this really work? And, you know, can I implement this? Also this idea too, of like, I'm not even sure if I want to build an audience around myself or put myself out there. Like I'm not looking to be famous. And he started building more of his brand on LinkedIn. He actually launched a new SaaS arm to pray, uh, which is his company, um, grew that over a year to $7 million ARR. So blew it up, uh, launched a podcast, which became the second most popular podcast in their niche, which is religion and, you know, absolutely has cranked it. And so that's one. And there's many, many others, you know, across all different niches, whether it's like SaaS, coaches, consultants, course creators, because at the end of the day, like a business comes down to the systems and the people. And so what we go over and what we help founders with, um, are ubiquitous to any of these spaces. Um, at the end of the day, the stronger your systems, the stronger your business, the more freedom you're able to achieve and the stronger the people in your business, obviously the more leverage you get as well. Before we finish up, I want to ask you around AI. So a question I ask a lot of people is like, how to become AI proof? How do you think someone should go about doing that? So I got a couple of thoughts. So one thing, yeah, I think it's good to like keep up on technology and to pay attention to the, the developments on it. Again, just kind of play around with it. You know, I think that sure. there's also a lot of hype in that space right now. It's like web tree point though, right? I keep on like, I'll hear something on a given platform, like, oh, this company's taking over. And then I'll try the thing. And I'm like, this is garbage. <laughs> and so I'm sure like these things will become insane. And we'll probably watch this back like in two years and be like, oh, this guy's an idiot. Uh, but <laughs> a lot of the things that people think are so good at certain things, I like try them and I'm like, this is just not. So an example of this is like, you'll hear people talk about, oh my God, chat GPT is definitely going to take over content writing on X or LinkedIn or whatever it may be. Right. And then you look at content that it spews out Fucking that certain shit. people will post. And it's like, this is garbage. Number one, it doesn't read well. And number two, the algorithms know it's from an AI. So they're not going to ever like push it. And so Overall, I think it's important to be curious about it and to stay up on it, but I'm not concerned. I think that inevitably as with anything, whether it's your computer or your phone, like we're going to evolve with these pieces of technology and we'll use them as a tool. It's not something that I see like just completely replacing a lot of the stuff that like our core to a founder, which is like, you know, your grit, you're building your team, mm. knowing the numbers, building an amazing culture, right? These are things that if you're doing it right, you know, numbers, people, culture, you know, it's a human AI shift. is not going to replace that part of it. I think any time soon, I, I'm sure it will 
enhance it. I'm sure it will be a tool that will help you do a better job of that. And you should keep up on those developments, which I'm sure everyone will. But I don't think you should be operating out of fear around it. It's more of a curiosity thing. It's like the commodity tasks. It can give you help with, give you a hand with, whether it's like editing or whatever. It can give you a small help with, but it's like fundamentally humans are like the human connection, I believe can't be really replaced. And that's why I love long form so much is because like, I believe that a lot of this like lost form of communication is really, really dying out. Like people are becoming as lonely as ever. They've been disconnected. So I think leaning into these different variables, whether it's in your business, using the tools to help you, to help you do the commodity stuff so that you can, you can focus on the experience with your clients, with your customers, with your community. That's what becomes really important is the fact that we can get rid of the dumb shit. That's why we had a laptop. That's why we've gone through the internet era is to help you not restrict you. You mentioned about grit and you write about resourcefulness and relentlessness. Where does that come from? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of our jobs as founders is to be able to recognize patterns and having hired, you know, good, good amount of people over the years, hundred or so, you know, you see the patterns in a players and then the patterns in C players and yeah, some of the patterns you see in people that really get it and that have that sort of it factor are, you know, grit, being relentlessly resourceful, being optimistic, um, people that can figure it out in ambiguity. And so, yeah, these are traits that I'm really big on optimizing on my team. I think that, you know, building a team can be stressful if you build the wrong team. And I've been there. I've built a team uh, years ago. 20 or so people, half of them were A players, half of them C players. And I was way too flippant with my hiring. Just kind of someone was cool, like, come on board, right? <laughs> um, and <laughs> that became not cool. Uh, sure enough, in time, there was like some toxicity and just a lot of like, a lot of fat in the organization. Um, and you end up just building this really complex machine that I basically built my own prison. And what I've learned over the years is to be incredibly strict about the people you let around you. And yeah, you want to find people that they have the grit, like they're not expecting it to be easy and you don't need to like cater to every little nuance neediness that someone has. They're the kind of people that they believe in your mission. They love what you're doing and they're all in and they're going to roll with the punches. You can put them in a room. They're going to figure it out. On the resiliency and resourceful side, the kind of people that you don't need to give them all the direction in the world. You know, we work in a day and age where most teams are remote and you can't be constantly looking over someone's shoulder or booking a meeting every day with them to help them figure it out. You onboard them well, then you give them the resources, the tools, the motivation, and they should be able to kind of make their own way with things. And yeah, they're still able to ask questions, all that, but there's a level which they're independent. Um, and then, you know, on the optimistic side, you know, you don't want to work with assholes. You want to work with people that are inspiring and that you know, have a good orientation. The kind of people like we talked about when there's a bit of a challenge, they see as an opportunity versus like they start complaining about it. And so, yeah, these are just things that I think are important. And, um, I think if you can build a team of those kind of people, you've actually built, you know, a calm company where again, you can kind of take a break from it. You can remove yourself from operations and just trust that these legends, this core team you've built is going to just do amazing things. It's trust at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for. And that's when you take the cheap option or the easy option. Mm-hmm. It has time and effect and the delay, right? As a result, of that, at the end of it, 
you will be left holding the bag, the mining degree. I want to say a massive thank you, sir. I think we could have done another two hours if we needed to. I want to say appreciate yeah, it, man. Thanks so much for having me, man. We'll do another session in uh in another six months. Here. Yeah, means a lot. Thank you, man. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate it.